Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor. Kevin! Hey, Chris. What's going on, man? Well, we wake up this morning, and it seems like the biggest story that came out of last night's game is Memphis Grizzlies coach David Fisdale, and it is not so often that we get an epic basketball rant, but it feels like uh, David Fisdale's is one that will not be forgotten soon. Let's play it and then get into it. Um, You know, it's unfortunate that I got a guy like Mike Conley who in his whole career has got zero technical fouls and just cannot seem to get the proper respect from the officials um, that he deserves. Uh, It was a very poorly officiated basketball game. Um, Zach Randolph, the most rugged guy in the game, had zero free throws, but somehow Kawhi Leonard had 19 free throws. First half, we shot 19 points, shot 19 shots in the paint, and we had six free throws. They shot 11 times in the paint, and they had 23 free throws. I'm not a numbers guy, but that doesn't seem to add up. Overall, 35 times we shot the ball in the paint. We had 15 free throws for the game. They shot 18 times in a paint and had 32 free throws. Kawhi shot more free throws than our whole team. Explain it to me. We don't get the respect that these guys deserve because Mike Conley doesn't go crazy. He has class, and he just plays the game. But I'm not going to let them treat us that way. You know, I know Pop's got pedigree, and I'm a young rookie, but they're not going to rook us. That's unacceptable. That was unprofessional. My guys dug in that game and earned the right to be in that game, and they did not even give us a chance. Take that for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so first things first, which is the better line? Uh, They're not going to rook us or take that for data. Uh, I, I, look, I think take that for data just with the pound of, of the table made it like the better overall moment. But I, I have to say they're not going to rook us was the better line. If we're, t- if we're talking strictly about script. <laughs> yeah. Take that for data feels like it's going to live for a long time, that that's going to be the, yep. you play to win the game, you know, take that yep. for data. Yep. <laughs> Chase Serrano. Especially already- when it comes to. Film versus uh, data articles or, or arguments. It's got, that's the argument people are going to use. Take that for data. Well, listen, you wake up this morning and on the ringer, Shea Serrano has already immortalized the quote by giving, I believe it was like 20-something reasons to use take that for data. So people can go, people can go check that out That you that in, in different circumstances <laughs> in life in which you say it. So the the obviously the, the lines and the epic post-game performance is going to get – a lot of talk and it's going to probably overshadow the message uh which is that he thinks the Grizzlies got cheated last night what say you uh so okay I don't know about every call I don't know about every situation but I I found it interesting that he pointed out Zach Randolph the the most rugged guy in the NBA as he said didn't get any foul calls which he didn't but the thing is I watched all 18 shots he took last night and only on the last shot that he took with LaMarcus Aldridge defending he was hit on the forearm and there definitely should have been a whistle other than that I I, I don't think there was any shots that he took where there should have been a whistle there was one where Pau Gasol was crowding him and there arguably was contact on lower body but his hand but Gasol's hands were straight up and I, I don't think there would have been a whistle there whereas on the other end he mentioned Kawhi Leonard classless Kawhi Leonard 
I, I think he was clearly fouled on all of them except for the last one when Marcus Gasol had his hand straight up and looked like he blocked the shot and they blew the whistle. That one definitely should not have been a whistle in my opinion. But other than that, it looked like for those two guys specifically – it was pretty well officiated. I don't know about every call, though, and that's where he's going to look back and watch the film because, as he said himself, he's not a data guy, right? So I think he'll look back and see that Randolph probably didn't get many whistles last night, at least on the shots that he took. I don't know about every other possession. Yeah, that was a standing up for our guys. You just figure there's no mm-hmm. way he took that many shots without getting hit. Conley got hit a bunch, and and then there was yeah. a couple big ones where – Marcus All caught an elbow to the to the face. Jamichael Green caught an elbow to the face, and like none of these things got called right, and 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 many of them happened right in front of him. And I will tell you just for a backstory for everybody out there, because I know this didn't get a lot of attention, um, but about uh, you know right going into about the last week of the season, the Grizzlies played a game on the road at San Antonio, a game that went to overtime. And in the fourth quarter of that game, with about three minutes and 30 seconds left in the game, they had moved Kawhi Leonard onto Mike Conley. They ran into each other, like butted heads, right? And Conley laid on the ground bleeding profusely. To the, uh, he had to go straight to the locker room and get a bunch of stitches. And so your point guard's laying on the ground bleeding, and they called an offensive foul on Conley. So th- there's a backstory to this, right? Fisdale was already furious still about that, right? This idea that my, my, you know, these two guys can run into each other and my guy can be laying on the ground with a bloody head and they still give the call to Kawhi Leonard, right? Like they still, the guy is on the ground bleeding and he got called for an offensive foul. And so if you go with that, if you know that backstory going in, then it's going to be very difficult for him to view things through the prism of we're getting a fair shake because, hell, he's seen his point guard laying in the ground in a pool of blood and and get a foul called on him. And so he's, you know, he was already, he's already ornery about that stuff, right? And about Kawhi getting every call. Now, you say you watched everything back. You didn't think that. Kawhi got favorable calls. I think I read this morning it was like the third most free throw attempts in playoff history or some crap. I mean, it is it's a huge it, it number. Pretty high up there. It's a huge number. Look, I, I think you know you're right with that backstory on that Conley play that you're mentioning from a week or two ago. I don't think it should have been a call. I hate seeing offensive calls called on situations like that because both guys pushed, right? I think that's really just a no call, in my opinion. I, I hate when officials blow the whistle on one end or when they call double technicals. I, I wish those were the types of calls that they got out of the game. And and in, in that play, look, I get it, right? And and I'm sure at the end of that game, like two, the two plays I mentioned, right, the last shot Randolph took, I thought there should have been a whistle, whistle and the last one Kawhi t- took when Gasol was called for a foul shouldn't have been. I think those last calls probably were in in um, David Fizil's mind when he went up to the podium last night when all those guys went back in the locker room, when they were making a push, and those were the two missed calls. Of those guys, uh, obviously we're just talking strictly about them, That that's got to be really frustrating especially when they cut it to, I think, seven last night. Was it seven or was it six? They cut it to five. Five. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, that, listen, got, that game got fun, didn't it? <laughs> hey, and here's the thing. They're going to get a more favorable whistle in game three. You better believe they're going to get a more favorable whistle. They just will. Perhaps. Oh, it, they will. We'll see. 
They will. And here's and here's what I'll say regarding the series. They obviously got totally blasted in game one to the Grizzlies. In game two, mm-hmm. the second half. Once Fisdale and see all of the all of the rant stuff is going to cover up everything else that happened, but once Fisdale decided I'm go I'm I'm reinserting Zach Randolph back in the starting lineup. It's the best chance I have. I'm going to play a Mike Conley, Marcus All, and Zach Randolph, and then he flanked them with James Ennis and Vince Carter. So he he made a big adjustment at halftime and changed the lineup, and it worked out great for him. It did. And part of that's because he's playing established NBA players as a unit together. The Grizzlies have tried to roll out their lineups with Wayne Selden, who started the game. He wasn't in the NBA a month ago. And 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 Andrew Harrison, who for an entire season has shot less than 35% from the field. Um, you know, it, it feels like he's going to really tighten it up and maybe at least, who knows. But I would be surprised if, the next two games aren't competitive against San Antonio because it feels like at least maybe the Grizzlies figured a little something out in the second half and that that Gasol and Randolph pairing uh, while Zach, uh, while Randolph was so bad in game one might be able to do some damage and at least keep the Grizzlies in the game. And that's what you have to do against San Antonio. You got to stick around and give yourself a chance and not let their four-point lead turn into a eleven-point lead, turn into a six-point, a sixteen-point lead. You know, you can't put Wayne Selden out there. I don't think, at least against Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi just was driving past him with ease in the first half last yeah. night. It looked like at certain times Selden's feet weren't even moving. Like by the time Leonard was past him, it was it was insane. And then obviously, like you said, Ennis is the guy that has to play. I mean, it's without Tony Allen out there, I think James Ennis is the guy you really have to lean on to contain Kawhi Leonard, or at least try to, because Wayne Selden last night he. Looked totally incapable of doing it, and you can't blame him. The dude's played like eight NBA games with the Grizzlies. He hasn't been with them for long, and and look, that's that's a tough injury with Tony Allen. I think I think when that injury happened, that changed everything. That changed the entire game plan for this entire series. And look, Memphis could have made this. I think go six maybe with Tony Allen, just simply having him on the floor to 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 really battle against Kawhi Leonard. But without him, man. Phew, I don't know. I think even on their home court, it's going to be really hard because you only have so many bodies you can rely on. Because you still look around and go, who can they put on Kawhi Leonard? Yep. And the and the answer exactly. is the, that, that player just doesn't exist. You can look down your bench exactly. all you want. That guy's not there. And so you just got to pray he misses a bunch of shots. Right and exactly, he's, he's going to have him. an off night, and he certainly didn't have one last night. He had one of the most efficient nights in the last thirty-five years. I I wrote something on the Ringer about that: thirty-seven yeah. points on fourteen shots. Yeah. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens after uh, after game three, which I will tell you, just in being around it, um, it, it would have felt like an absolute like you're going to a funeral for game three and that will not be the case anymore because of Fisdale's rant. <laughs> that's the truth it will like You're it's right. the it's the big you know the whole collective chip on your shoulder you're not gonna cheat us you know we're gonna fight blah 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 right like that's the way it's gonna be and it in so that arena will be on fire on Thursday night where it would have been people feel like you're just walking to a funeral like that it did change it, it changed that right and sometimes especially in in these series right atmosphere matters a lot if the crowd can get on top of you and 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 really give you a push so we'll see what happens with that the other game 
it was the Cavs and the Pacers, kind of looked like the Cavs were going to run off on them. And then here come the Pacers down, you know, down the stretch, making a game of it. Paul George was hitting some, uh, you know, fantastic shots. And it, I don't know, man. I, I think the, the Cavs are having a little bigger problem with the Pacers than what I had suspected. What about you? I, I I don't know. So like on Monday, I wrote like how what if there's no scoreboard? Like what would be the score you would assign to these games between Cleveland and Indiana? And I just don't feel like it's that close. They beat them by one in game one. They beat them by six last night, and I just don't feel like it was that close. I just feel like Cleveland has totally outplayed them. I feel like each game, if I didn't know the score, I feel like if. If I was assigning points to each team, I would assume it was like a 10 to 15 point win for Cleveland. Their defense is still horrible and they need to fix it before the next round and definitely before the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe the finals. They absolutely need to fix it. It's an issue. But against Indiana, it doesn't matter because Indiana's defense is way worse than Cleveland's is. They cannot stop Cleveland in the pick and roll at all. There's like literally nothing that they can do on that end of the floor to stop Cleveland. Paul George on the offensive end is the only guy they can really lean on. They have solid players miles turner is just too young to lean on at this point jeff teague is up and down and besides that look lance stevenson's fun but i tweeted it this morning and i totally believe it in my heart he's a better meme than he is a basketball player and if you're relying on a guy like that you're probably not going to win games especially against the cleveland cavaliers who are the best team in the eastern conference despite the fact that they had only the second best record and while you mentioned Kawhi leonard and this incredibly efficient night kevin love i mean good grief What do you have? Like, it's like seven shots. 27 on seven. 27 points on seven shots is crazy. He had a stretch, Chris, in the third quarter where he was just totally dominating Lance Stevenson. And it was kind of comical in a way because on one of the plays, he just totally bullied him back underneath the rim and and drew a foul. And on that play, Lance Stevenson kind of threw a tantrum and slammed the ball off the court. That was the play where Nate McMillan could be seen saying to Lance Stevenson, calm down. And I bet you when Paul George was talking after the game saying he needs to have, you know, better body language, you know, he needs to stay composed that was probably the play that paul george had running through his mind when lance stevenson got bullied three plays in a row could not stop kevin love at all and he let and he let his frustration get the best of it and 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 committed a careless foul on kevin love it it was just it was fascinating to see cleveland just go to love over and over and over again and towards the end of that third quarter to really create separation in the game I covered Stevenson on a daily basis last year, and uh, Paul George, I saw his stuff after the game. He's got to learn how to control himself and be in the moment. Lance in our locker room, he's looked upon as a leader. His body language has to improve just for the team. We all know that Lance is an emotional guy. All of his heart and his competitiveness, that emotion comes out of it. He's got to channel it, uh, that toward making effort plays on the court and doing whatever he needs for us to succeed. Um, Good luck. (laughs) <laughs> good luck no kidding. you know what i mean like I, i'm just saying you like you can't ask that, a guy to change like that no that's who he is man that's exactly. just who he is he wear everything that happens good and bad he wears it on his sleeve you never have to wonder how lance stevenson is feeling ever you know and so and that right it it it, it is a great boost to a team when he's rocking but when he when it ain't going his way and it can be it can be draining on the others to look at him, right? Um, and so Paul exactly. George was attempting, especially, especially if they consider a leader leader on the team. Oh, for I sure. I mean, look, you could be a leader, but there's good leaders and there's bad leaders, and then there's Lance Stevenson leaders. Yeah, <laughs> it's not <laughs> it, great. It, 
Lance should not be a leader. Okay, let's just let's just make that clear. <laughs> if Lance Stevenson is one of your leaders, there, there, you've got a, you've got a bit of a conundrum on your hands. Indiana's gonna get swept. I think. You think they're just, gonna get swept? Like well, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I, this is what's interesting. I Cleveland's kind of, like the margin of victory has not been huge, and I don't think Cleveland has looked awesome considering their opponent. I don't have a, a super yeah. high opinion of Indiana. But here's the thing. The teams that you thought, okay, they could give Cleveland a problem, have been so underwhelming. Boston and Toronto being the key too, right? Um, Washington, if we're just going, if we're going to overreact to what you know, the first games of the playoffs, Washington to me looks by far the best of the possible competition for Cavs. Don't you think? I don't know. I mean, if we're if we're overreacting, yes, because they they won the game. They you I know, just said I was overreacting, have, Kevin. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm reiterating that for, for the listeners. If we are overreacting, definitely, you know, the Wizards because they won the game and they they had. If it wasn't for the turnovers, I think they would have had an even uh, more commanding win. But with that said, I mean, if we're not overreacting to the games, I still think it's going to be Boston or Toronto. I really do. It's still gonna be one of them, or, or you know, even even you could go as far as saying Milwaukee because they've gave given Cleveland trouble in the regular season before, and their length could present issues for Cleveland as well. If we want to go with all teams that just won their game, why not Milwaukee? All right, well they're gonna play. Let's get to tonight's games. We got Milwaukee, Toronto first. Uh, that's NBA TV game at six o'clock. Um, here's what I know is not gonna change. You know, there could be adjustments that can be made in this series. What is not going to change is Milwaukee is still going to be freakishly long. And that appears <laughs> that appears to give quite the problem to Toronto um, and many, uh, honestly, throughout the league. You know, when Simmons and I did the podcast last week, one of the things we said was they are just such an awkward matchup. They are so unlike so many things that happen in the NBA, the way they play, the way their star plays. Um, they're not a team that takes a ton of threes. Like they, and then their matchups, they've just got these, you know, tall and long guys for the positions that they play that seemingly can handle the ball and, and create their own shots in many cases. And they're just a very awkward team. And the Toronto thing about losing all these game ones over the years and then for them to get beat the way they did in that game one was I don't know man that was that was really weird because they've had a big problem with these game ones and you would think all right it ain't happening again you know know that's what they're thinking going into that right that not again we're not we're not dropping again uh in game number one and it just felt like there's nothing they could do about that the Bucks just took it to them it's like Kyle Lowry said it after the game. It's like deja vu all over again. It yeah. really is. Four years in a row, they've lost their first game of the playoffs, and that's that's incredible. The, you know, so I think I think their problems, you know, are very much the same as they were before. And I, I look, I know Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry are great players. There's no denying how great they are. But the, you can't overlook the fact that in the postseason they have consistently not bid good for over 30 games now and you know my point in my article on monday was like when do we start asking if they, their game just doesn't translate well to the playoffs in this modern nba when do we start asking that question and i think i think that's legitimate because you know look i have to read this stat from the article because like it's a kind of a kind of long-winded stat but look 
there's there's been over 250 players since 1979 that have attempted at least 500 shots in the playoffs. So we're working with a pretty big sample here. Lowry and DeMar DeRozan have two of the 16 worst effective field goal percentages of those 250 players. So we're talking about guys that take a lot of shots in the playoffs that have a, that have had a lot of opportunity to score the ball. They've been two of the 16 worst of those 250 players in terms of scoring efficiency. That's just one metric, but you know you can look at other numbers they've been inefficient as well field goal percentage true shooting percentage whatever it is whatever you want to look at they have not been good so when do we start asking if their game just doesn't translate everybody knows DeMar DeRozan plays you know kind of a classic style his mid-range style when do we start asking if that's actually going to be a translatable skill to the playoffs I just wonder when do we start is it now or is it after if they lose again in this series well yeah obviously you got to let it play out a little bit right because of course you know, I mean, as we know, that is a big sample size, um, and I that's actually a shocking stat to me. I mean, 16 worst. God bless both. Um, yeah. I would I not have suspected. DeMar DeRozan was third worst, and when I wrote the article, Lowry was 17th worst, and now he's 16th. Well, and one of the things is they have been, they have struggled, and we've talked about this a lot, to find the third guy. And obviously they attained Ibaka to mm-hmm. attempt to do that. Um and they tried with Damari Carroll, and it just didn't play out, right? I mean, I remember I talked to the Raptors announcers earlier this year when they were here, and they said, you know, it's just so perimeter-based. It's so dependent upon Kyle and Damar, and never really been able to count on that third guy every night. It's just got to be somebody different, right? And, and back then, it was like one night it's going to be Terrence Ross. And so then they went and they tried to get Ibaka so that he could be that reliable third guy every night. But I will say this. One of the things, when I, I'm just trying to come up with the reasons when you say, why doesn't it translate? One of the things you notice in the playoffs is the, the you know, when, when you're only preparing for one team, rather than preparing for somebody night in, night out. What you do is try to take away what they do best. And so everybody knows there is no mystery that if you can, if you decide, here's what we've got to do. We've got to slow down that backcourt. We can't let them combine for 70 points against us. We can't let them combine for 60 points against us. And if everybody else beats us, then so be it. But those two are not going to beat us. And and that's what they do, right? That's what they do. And you can do that in the playoffs. It's a lot easier than just a one-off game here and there. Um, and so I would just say, you know, when teams have the opportunity to hone in, um, it becomes – that's what makes, like, what Kevin Love did and what Kawhi Leonard did and what Paul George did, for that matter – so much more impressive because you know people are attempting to stop them, right? You know that Houston was attempting to slow down Westbrook the other night. He's the he's the major guy that they got to worry about, and so that's what I wonder. When it becomes heightened awareness of, okay, here's, here's what we're taking away from that team, and a team can really execute it, then that's what you get, right? And you might be right. That it's it. I don't know if it's as much about those individual players as it is their team concept and how much they rely upon those two players. Does that make sense? 
and that's that's what raises questions about Dwayne Casey and, and and the system he has installed on that team. He he he's a great defensive coach, but you wonder about his offense, right? Uh, I, John Schuman from NBA.com had an amazing stat in one of his playoff preview articles that the Raptors had had a forty seven percent. They assisted on forty seven percent of their made field goals this season. That's the lowest mark of the last twenty seven years. Twenty seven wow. years. We're talking about teams that played slow styles that didn't move uh, play modern motion offenses they had a they assisted on less makes than those teams in the 90s it's crazy and and this is a team playing 20 in the 2017 basketball season and they assist on less than half their made field goals and you wonder how much of that needs to change with Dwayne Casey do they need to make an adjustment there they get a great head coach and on their D-League team with Jerry Stackhouse from what I hear he's definitely should be a candidate for some team out there he's had a great year with them maybe he's the guy who can really help enhance DeRozan and Kyle Lowry I think I mean look I don't want to like you know reiterate everything we talked about on the podcast last month but if if there's one change that they first need to make before you know they go to the nuclear option <laughs> pressing the reset button they need I think they need to consider changing the head coach just to see if a, a new revised altered system can enhance DeRozan as a player and enhance Lowry as a player and maybe that translates to the playoffs maybe nothing changes it's all that's always possible maybe it's it's as a result of the players that's their style and, and I just want to see if that changes and I think I think Casey's a great defensive coach but I don't know if his system offensively uh has highlighted their strengths as much as they can I will be shocked if Toronto just flips a switch and then wipes out the Bucks. it feels like that's going to be a very long, challenging series for them, regardless. And I know it's easy to say now that the Bucks are up one zip, but I don't think that that was just a one-off. I don't think that that was a fluke. I think the Bucks are going to be a big problem for them. I don't know about tonight, because with all of these teams, the road teams, once they catch a road win, psychologically, there is a sense of accomplishment that comes with that, right? We we came here to get one and we got the one and then the other team knows we can't go down 0-2 and it's total backs against the wall and so the idea that these home teams whether it's Toronto, Boston or the Clippers all take care of business tonight in fact I'd be surprised if all of them didn't take care of business that being said I I think the Bucks are going to be a big problem for them if there's a game 7 in that series it would not shock me one bit uh, me, me neither, Chris. And I think you know Jonathan Sharks wrote, wrote an article in the Ringer today about how the how the Bucks went small without going small, and that that's the inherent problem for uh, opponents with the Bucks is that they they are big, but they can also play versatile with guys like Thonmaker, Giannis Antetokounmpo as their front court. Those guys are not necessarily big, as in like bulky. They're not traditional big men, but they have big man height and big man length and they also have guard quickness the ability to switch screens and play come out, defend multiple positions and then their backcourt guys like tony sell malcolm brogdon chris middleton those guys can play versatile too guys like matthew delavadova everybody knows that he's a really good defender great def- guard defender they have they have the ability to shut you down in different ways on the defensive end of the floor they held toronto to 83 points and we talked about how poor the, the raptors were 
the Bucks were great. I mean, it's not like the Raptors just had a bad game. The Bucks were really, really good, and they looked like a team that I think could beat Toronto. I mean, you said they could go seven. That's possible. I could also see the Bucks winning the series in six, just from what we saw in, in game one and the problems that they presented. It's all going to come down to the adjustments, the counter-adjustments that Toronto makes entering game two and then throughout the series. Well, listen, if I took somebody that had never watched basketball in their life, I used to always say this about LeBron, right? If you just took somebody – that had never watched basketball in their life and sat him in front of a TV and tried to explain to them what was going on, they would immediately be able to identify that he's the best guy out there, right? It's kind of like when I knew nothing about soccer and I'd tune in and I'd watch, you know, Argentina and he'd be like, you immediately see that Lionel Messi is the best guy out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to know anything about soccer. You could just tell it. Well, I'll tell you this. If you watch that Bucks toronto game, everybody in the free world would say the best guy on that court is Giannis. It's not even close. You're right. You know? you're, right you're right, Chris. It, 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 that reminds me of an experience I had at, in New Orleans. They had Basketball Without Borders, which is where they bring all like the best best high school basketball players in, in the country there. And this, I, I, I came in not really knowing any of the players. And, and then you see this kid, six foot seven, kind of you know strong body, long arms. You're like, oh, I'm going to keep my eye on this kid. And then you see him play, and you look down at your sheet, and you're like, okay, R.J. Barrett. Okay, yeah. Then you Google him on your phone, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. He's the number one player in the 2019 high school class. He's easy to spot. Like, you don't need to, you don't need to know who the guys are. You don't need to know anything about the sport, for that matter, to know that he's the best guy in the court. And the, yeah. I had that same experience the other, the other week, or two months ago, rather, now. Time goes by quick. Yeah, and it feels like Giannis is that guy. All right, he's let's get guy. to Chicago, yep, Boston. That's going to be at uh, 7 o'clock on TNT. Um, listen, it, 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 you had these extenuating circumstances where Isaiah Thomas had to go through extreme tragedy, um, right before the game and he ended up playing and he played really well. Um, I was very, I gotta tell you, Kevin, I was like super impressed with the bulls. I really was. And I know that a lot of came out of it was like, what's wrong with the Celtics, but I thought the bulls looked good in that first game and obviously Butler just took over in that second half but I thought they looked pretty confident I looked like I I thought you know they got a lot of good shots thought they moved the ball around better than you know I would have suspected I don't know I just I I don't know if that was just a one-off or I don't know what what do I make of what took place and and were you as impressed with what what the Bulls did uh, or did you look at that as more what the what the Celtics did wrong uh, you know so going into the series Chris there there's two primary thoughts I had with that so first of all one of them is that the Bulls have three guys that can theoretically go off they have Jimmy Butler who obviously is a superstar everybody knows how amazing he is Dwayne Wade could still have those flashback nights where you know he goes off and, and has amazing games just like he did last year in the playoffs and Rondo I mean, look, he's he's not the player he once was, but he can still have dynamic performances. They have three guys that can have big, 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 big scoring nights or big, big playmaking nights, whereas the Celtics, their, their team is really Isaiah Thomas, and he's the guy that they have to lean on for basically all of their half-court offense. All, all of their playmaking comes from Isaiah. They have other guys who can create. Marcus Smart is a better pick-and-roll playmaker than anybody gives him credit for. He's really good in that role. But besides that, look – 
Al Horford, great player, but you can't lean on him to really be your playmaking presence. Isaiah Thomas is the guy on that team. And so the Bulls have more guys who can do that. And the second part, and this is what really happened in that game one, was that the Bulls are just a great offensive rebounding the team. And the Celtics are a horrific defensive rebounding team. And they just completely pummeled them on the boards. Kelly Olenek had no chance against Robin Lopez. Al Horford is not a good defensive rebounder and has never been one. Look, that's going to be the problem for the Celtics is how do you fix something that can only be a band-aid fix against this team? You, look, you need to box out. You need to, you need to gang rebound. You cannot let Robin Lopez just pressure the rim so easily. Like he was the other night. There's this one swim move he had on Kelly Olenek where it looked like Dwight Freeney, not to make an NFL reference, but it looked like Dwight Freeney spinning around a left tackle. Like Kelly Olenek had no chance they, they need to just not allow the Bulls to get these second chance opportunities. Then they have a chance because I think I think they still have enough weapons to really have. They still have the better overall team, but you can't allow the Bulls to get all these chances. That, well, that, we're I think talking, that's what it comes down to more than anything. And we talk about, right, it's one thing if Butler and Wade and the guy or Rondo or whoever, the guys that you would count on could feasibly have big games, but it's always those periphery guys that – you're not necessarily counting on because you are paying so much attention to the others that can really kill you. And Bobby Portis was fantastic Ooh. in that. I mean, he was great. Yeah, he was great. Really, Go I Bobby. Mean, like where? And and by the way, Marcus Smart, who you mentioned, how many why? How many threes? Like corner threes did he take? It, like he's a. Uh, He's going for, I don't know, I guess Nick Young would be the title holder, but the whole hold the follow-through brick, right? You know, like, yeah, you hold the follow-through, like, oh, that's money, right? Instead, it just, like, bounced off the back of the rim. Marcus Smart, he had at least three of those, right, where it was like, okay, this is a bucket, and he gets the shot, and he's obviously not scared to take any shot, but he just he couldn't get one to drop. And they gotta Marcus have they gotta have smart guy. giving up they gotta give they gotta have smart giving them something you know. I mean, well, Mar- Marcus. Well, for okay, before I touch on Marcus, let me just say this about Bobby Portis. He gets a lot of hate like on Twitter. Like I, I know Bulls fans are frustrated with him, but look, he's only in his second year and he's only twenty two years old, and he's had moments. He's had moments in both his rookie season and now in his sophomore season and now in game one of the playoffs where he looks like a guy who's going to be in the league for 10 to 12 to maybe even 15 years. And I think he will be. I I loved Bobby Portis in the draft. I just think guys like him who play hard, who can stretch the floor, who who I think he I think he wants to be a really good player. And he he improves so much from his freshman to sophomore season in college that I just think it's going to come in time. We just need to be patient with Bobby Portis. And understand that these flashes, like we saw on Sunday, are are just glimpses of the future with him. And then as for Marcus Smart, look, I mean, he's been a 30%, 29, 30% three-point shooter ever since high school. And that's kind of who he is as a player uh, for, uh, in that department. But he is so good everywhere else, man. I, I, I remember last year I wrote an article um, about Marcus Smart. Like when he's getting a lot of heat in the Boston media about, oh, Marcus can't can't shoot. Marcus flop flops too much. It's like, yeah, you can't focus on just the, the two negatives of him because he is such an incredible defender. His ability to defend bigger guys, to defend every I mean, look, he can't defend every type of player, but he can defend every position on the floor if that makes any sense. His ability to defend and then a great rebounder for a guard, a really good pick and roll playmaker. 
he's just not a great shooter but yet he was three for seven in game one it's not like he had a bad night the, the question with him is finding the consistency on that end of the floor and I, I uh, look, look that that's the last hurdle for Marcus Smart if he can develop into a 38 percent three-point shooter instead of a 30 percent guy i'm not saying he's an all-star <laughs> but he's a, he's a whole lot closer to that level than people think because he's so damn good everywhere else besides shooting i'd be surprised if stevens doesn't have something up his sleeve and that the boston doesn't bounce back tonight i think boston's gonna win tonight i'd be very shocked if they didn't um and that you know that, I, I, that, I think so too I, yeah. I would be really surprised if they don't come out guns blazing tonight yeah, uh, Utah and the Clippers. I feel I feel so terrible for Jazz fans. I really do. Um, the Gobert thing feels like a death blow to me. I mean, he is so amazing. <laughs> felt, felt so, like it when it happened. <laughs> he is so amazing, though. And I know, but like now, now it's going to settle in, right? And you got to play it. I get it, right? And and you can't trust the Clippers to do anything right. But that being said, it just feels like that's going to be. <laughs> that's going to be a bridge too far, man, losing him. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Quint Snyder's going to be able to concoct something, but it just feels like, you know, once you can game plan for, okay, they don't have this guy in the lineup anymore, um, he, he just affects things so much. Um, I would love to see them still be super-duper competitive and be able to just go ahead and be good without him, but – that I, I hate seeing guys get injured, and he seems like an extremely important piece to them. It just sucks. It happened on the first possession of the game. I the know. first possession that happened. Like, it, like you said, Chris, it felt like it was over at that point. The fact that they pulled out the game was remarkable. I thought I think it, it was it really embodied what they were the entire season. We've talked about this before. I, maybe I don't know how many podcasts I've mentioned how much I like Quinn Snyder as a coach, and I think I think you know like with Brad Stevens in the, in the Eastern Conference, he's kind of the Stevens of the West in the sense that he gets the most out of his guys. No matter what what happens to that team, no matter who's out, he has the ability to plug guys in and put them put the, that guy in the best position to succeed. And they did that. They did that um, on Saturday night and. And I think Quinn Snyder, in many ways, the, the last play of the game, when he didn't call a timeout with their semi-transition early offense opportunity with Joe Johnson when he hit the game-winning shot over, over Jamal Crawford, the decision not to call a timeout there was an incredible call. And even, even if Joe Johnson clanked that ball off the side of the backboard, I still think it would have been the right decision because, look, he had a poor defender in Jamal Crawford on, on him. Clippers had switches all over the floor. They, they did. They were not in position defensively like they would have been had had a timeout been called. And you think back earlier on Saturday night when Nate McMillan called a timeout when Paul George rebounded the ball and was about to go and transition. He called a timeout, and then the shot they ended up getting was C.J. Miles pull up too. I think. Nate McMillan made the wrong call. The second it happened, I felt that way. I know Jeff Van Gundy said it on the broadcast as well. Whereas in this game, totally the right call to let him go. Because look, it wasn't a pure transition opportunity, but it kind of was in the sense that the Clippers weren't set. And if you call the timeout in that play, I guarantee you Doc Rivers is pulling Jamal Crawford out of the game, and he's not going to have the opportunity to just bully his way to the rim like he did. It was a yeah, great call I, by Quinn Snyder, and that game showed how good he is as a coach, I think. I, I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong about that because there's nothing more. I, I I'd love for Utah to be able to pull it off. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, allow me to say on the on the Gobert stuff, but the 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 defensive metrics on him and the impact that he has had 
on that team, uh, especially in the style of game that they like to play, has been so immense. And sometimes when a guy gets injured, especially like he did so early in that game, it can galvanize a team, right, for one night. We're good. We're going to come together, F this, right, do it for Rudy, this kind of stuff. And then it kind of sets after a couple of days after, it's like, okay, now we got to live without him, right? He ain't coming back. Um, so I hope I'm wrong about that. But, I mean, listen, that's his part of his candidacy for Defensive Player of the Year is that you've, I mean, the numbers don't lie. His impact is just enormous on that team and is such a, uh, is so good at, even stuff that numbers can't pick up, which is you just don't, you just decide not to drive when you like peek up and you see this monster standing back there, right? Like there is no, how many, how many times does he force you into a worse shot or just prevent you from even getting close to the rim simply because you just look up and you're like, good grief. I ain't, I ain't driving into that. Um, but, but, but I hope I'm interior defender in basketball. No it's doubt. not you. There's no doubt about it, I ho- and I hope I'm wrong about that. But I would I would be surprised if uh, again I don't know if I could trust Toronto. So and and the Milwaukee thing is such a damn wild card. But I'd be surprised if if the home teams don't even it up tonight. Like I said earlier, there's something psychologically about the road team feeling like they have accomplished what they went there to accomplish, and the home team saying this is a hundred percent must win. We can't go down. We can't lose our first two home playoff games. Uh, let's touch on the uh, other series. So we, we covered uh, last night's game. We'll cover, we cover the games that are going on tonight. I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll talk about what games are going to resume or what series are going to resume on Wednesday after these words. Today's Ringer NBA show brought to you by SeatGeek. The NBA playoffs are here, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to your favorite team's games. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. I have a SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. It's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. You get the most bang for your buck. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets, too. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate on their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your 20 bucks, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add promo code. Enter the promo code RINGERNBA. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code RINGERNBA today. The show is also brought to you today by Cabbage. If you're wondering how to get the funding needed to run a small business today, Cabbage has the answer. Cabbage helps small business owners access simple and flexible funding right away without the headaches that come with applying for a traditional loan. Apply online from your phone by securely linking your business information to get an automatic decision. There's no waiting in line, scanning documents, or tracking down financial statements. Cabbage gives you the flexibility to decide what's best for your business. Once you're approved, you choose when to use your funds and how much to take. You'll only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has supported over 100,000 small businesses with $2.9 billion in funding. Visit cabbage.com ringer. There's no cost to apply and set up your line of credit. 
As an NBA show listener, when you qualify for funding, you'll get a $100 Visa gift card and you can use it anywhere. That's Cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash ringer. All right, Kevin, three more series that we got to get to, and these are going to resume on Wednesday. I touched on the Wizards a little bit earlier. I was super impressed with the Wizards, um, and I obviously am viewing this a little through the prism of if you would eventually have to play Cleveland. I mean, we saw that game towards the end of the year where Gortat just totally pushed around uh, Tristan Thompson, and obviously he was pushing around everybody in their game on Saturday. Um, Polish but, hammer. you know, we talk about the whole – Who's the best guy on the court? And so we saw Giannis, and he looked like the best guy on the court. And Jimmy Butler, uh, certainly in the second half of that Bulls game, looked like they had the best guy on the court. There was no doubt about it. John Wall was unbelievable uh, over the weekend and clearly was the best guy on the court. I don't know, man. I kind of got high on the Wizards after watching them and what they did uh, against the Hawks. What about you? John Wall is just taking it to the next level, man. Feels like every year, despite you know all the injuries he's had over over the career, especially double knee surgery last year, just keeps on getting better. This, this year, look, you you can't defend him like he used to. You can't force him into jumpers. There, this was something I touched on in my article on Monday that you know. So when he was spotting up, when he didn't have the ball in his hands, when he was spotting up. The Hawks often stop short on their closeouts, giving him space to shoot the three. And you can't do that anymore. He, he'll, he'll beat you. you. You have to really crowd him on the line now. And, and, if you do, and if you do that, the problem is that he's so friggin' fast and he's so explosive that he gets to the lane with ease and he can draw fouls or he can finish through contact. He can finish athletically. He, he really is one of the best point guards in the league, man. I, I, I think he should probably be on the third team All-NBA. And I know that's kind of just an arbitrary thing but he's up there man he, he's one of the best guards in the league and never mind the fact he had 14 assists and only three turnovers yeah he Pretty was great night and, for him and it just doesn't feel like atlanta's got enough yeah i i agree they, they, I, I don't think they have enough um ammo to to beat him but at the same time they have a, they have a, a solid team and i think they're going to win a couple of games in this series at least maybe one oh. or two two games i think maybe it goes six you thinking not, not that far? No, 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 no. I don't think it's going to be a. I, I don't think they're just going to bash them. No, I mean none of these. Te- I don't. I don't think that there is. I, I, they're not that much better than them, but they certainly the the Hawks. They're not going to win that series. They're not winning the series. But could they win a couple of games and make it a little bit interesting? You know, if you get a game six in Atlanta, that 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 makes it obviously extremely interesting, right? They they need more out of Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, because you're not going to get 25 every night out of Schroeder. Hardaway okay, well Hardaway's been really good for them the past couple of months, and they can't get two for 11 for seven points out of him. He he needs to really go off. Yeah, I don't know about counting on Tim Hardaway Jr. in a big playoff series. It's, it's like it's like counting on Lance Stevenson to be your leader. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thunder Rockets. I mean, Harden was just. On a, he so was on fun. another planet in that game. And allow me to say this. This is what I thought. Um, I, I was thinking of this and uh, on uh, on the game, on uh, w- watching it on uh, Saturday night. Watching them and watching Beverly, who was totally unbelievable in that game. Of course, he got flattened by Steven Adams, but he was knocking down threes. <laughs> he was pumping up the crowd. Do you know what dawned on me? So much has been talked about with the – 
with what happened with the Rockets last year and that they had gone to the West Finals the year before and last year was an unmitigated disaster, a team that appeared to not like each other at all. And and, and that's, you know, and obviously this year, Harden's turned into a possible MVP. Uh, most people are going to give D'Antoni their coach of the year vote. And so many things, uh, so many things are, are thought of through this idea of, of their drastic improvement from last year. Now, let me wrap that back around to Beverly. At the beginning of the year, I interviewed Daryl Morey on this show. And one of the things he was very, when we talked about what happened to Houston, uh, many times he went back to the Ty Lawson thing. You know, it was just a mistake, right? Brought in Ty Lawson, and it was a mistake, and it messed up everything. And one of the things that he didn't really go into detail on but then later in the year when I interviewed Corey Brewer, he did, which I never really thought of. Corey brought up about it not working last year because he was on both of those teams, the team that went to the West Finals and then going into next year. And it, it's one thing to just lay everything at the feet of Ty Lawson. One of the instances that, or one of the things that Brewer said that I thought was interesting was it had a drastic effect on the team, not just because it's a bad fit, with him and Harden and both need the ball, whatever else, but because they took Beverly out of the lineup. And Beverly is so important to that locker room, and he was the heart and soul of that team, and that they went out and found a replacement for him. And I couldn't help but think about that when I'm watching that game. And you see he is there. while Harden is easily the most talented player, he is their heart, man. He is the heart of that team, and it's fascinating to go back and think that, you know, that that had such a dramatic effect in the negative way on that team last year when they chose to replace him, right? They chose to replace him, and it obviously was terrible. Um, but, man, Kevin, he was, he, he was all over Russ, and he would just – it just felt like all this energy was just coming from him in that game, didn't you think? He was definitely like the the center of the solar system for, for the team uh, Sunday night, whatever night the game was. He, he was outstanding, man. I think I think Beverly's a great example of a player where if you're a guard and you're a hard nosed defender, if you can become a, a good shooter like Patrick Beverly, there's your foundation for a long NBA career. Beverly's going to be in the league for a long time, and it's because he's such an incredible defender and because he he's become a great three point shooter. And then you can build everything else from there: playmaking responsibility, whatever else it is he's a he's a great player and he's a perfect fit in that system especially next to James Harden that, that's a perfect backcourt pairing and, and you know the one thing you mentioned you know him locking down Russell Westbrook of course you know he was he pickpocketed him a couple times but I thought the Rockets game plan was outstanding they they gave uh, Robertson the Tony Allen treatment just leaving him completely open on the three-point line and Robertson hit four threes he was four for six from three but I would guarantee that the Rockets coaching staff isn't going to lose sleep over that because they they should keep leaving him open because he's a liability on liability spotting up from three. If you look at his numbers from the past four years, according to Sportview, he's shot I think below thirty percent all four seasons. This year he was like at twenty five percent on spot up threes, and a lot of those are open because <laughs> teams leave him open. And the and the the effect of that is that where's the driving lanes for Russell Westbrook? He was forced to dri- drive in a clogged lane. He was making poor passes. He went he was in his typical Leroy Jenkins mode. Nine turnovers, sloppy, bad passes. His hand 
handle was loose, got pickpocketed by Beverly, poor shot selection, Harden intercepted two passes where it looked like something was, you know, popped, popped up on game film. It just looked like it was premeditated where he knew it was coming. This weird jump pass that Westbrook does when Robertson cuts baseline. I just thought overall they put Westbrook in the worst position possible. And he wasn't able to, to really do much of anything on, uh, that night. And I think going into game two, the Thunder are going to need to find a way to effectively play with Robertson on the floor because the Rockets aren't going to change. They're not going to suddenly start defending Robertson from three. They're going to clog the lane and force Westbrook into making plays from the perimeter more so than getting to the bucket and drawing fouls like he can you know, at will. They need to make some type of adjustment, and I'm not exactly sure what it can be, though, based on their personnel. I can't wait to see what ends up happening with that because Donovan, uh, there's no doubt about it. Last year, he he helped his uh, perception quite a bit by making really good adjustments in the playoffs. He did. He was very good in the playoffs last year, uh, was Billy Donovan. And so now's, now's where it's time. But when you say... Uh, it's hard to make adjustments given their personnel. I that's that's very shocking to me, Kevin. All I've heard from everybody over the course of the last month is how good Russ's supporting cast is. <laughs> he's got he's look he's got solid players. I think oh, they have God. good defensive players. Good I think Robertson's they're, one of the best like third best players in basketball. One of their best players is Enos Cantor, and his coach is on the bench saying we can't play it. <laughs> I mean, stop it already, hey, man. Hey, bas- basketball is a two-way game, and they, they do have good defensive players. And Victor Oladipo was horrible. One for 12, 0 for 6 from 3. Look, I mean, I just think the the inherent issue is, like, you know, you know with the Grizzlies, in the past, there have been teams, I think I think it was the Spurs, if I remember correctly, was the first team who really just didn't cover him on offense. Golden that's State. what the Rockets did. You know, how do you counter that? It's hard. It's really hard because he's your best defensive player and he has insane value for that team. But if they're not covering you on one of the floor, you're not going to get four for six from three every night from Robertson. You're not. He could, he could just as easily go 0 for six in game two if he gets the same looks, the same wide open shots. I I, I think that's a problem for Oklahoma City because the Rockets are going to score a ton of points no matter what. Yeah, the only, re- the only reason I'm not counting them out completely is because last year they got smashed and it just looked like, okay, they can't compete, right? And so, whether whether you lose by one or you lose by thirty, yeah, the the loss is the loss, right? But I would I'd be surprised if if if, if Oklahoma City if there's not a couple huge rust games in there, and Oklahoma City gets it to six games, I would be I would be surprised yeah, if they just I, I could if see they that. got I, I just think it goes back to what we talked about last week, though, Chris. I think the fact that Westbrook is the center of the offense and that everything comes from him, that's right. a problem. Like, you know, we talked about this multiple times this year. I yep. wrote about it before the season. Bill Simmons touched on it again again when talking about the MVP race. Westbrook, you know, you look historically at guys that have that high, high of usage, they don't go far in the playoffs. I forget the amount of guys, 17 guys, 18 guys, I forget the number, but Allen Iverson's the only one who went as far as the finals. And everybody else usually flames out in the first or second round because you can't win with that style and that's the problem with Oklahoma City it'll ha- it's gonna happen to them every single year unless they st- add another superstar and revise their system it all can't come from Russ or it's gonna or it's not gonna lead to success in the playoffs they need to change their offense and can you do that now in the middle of the series when you've been playing that way the entire year I don't think you can I think that's too sudden of a change, and I think it's a change that they're going to need to look back during the summer and reevaluate and say, okay, we need we need to just really 
look at Russ and say, man, you got to take a little bit less responsibility and you can get different. You can look, I got to revise what I said. He can get the same amount of opportunity. It's just the type of usage needs to change. You need to get him the ball when he's off ball more often. He needs to be in that Robertson role where he's off ball and he's the guy getting spot up threes and cutting to the rim for lob dunks and layups that you need more of that from Westbrook where other guys can have dynamic playmaking opportunities. It can't all put and put and put and put Christian on the ball. Right. I mean, that's what they have to do. He, he cannot be off the ball. That's for damn sure. Yeah, and I'll say this. One of the other things is they got to just decide, you know, when you see some teams decide to do this, that they're just going to try to blow up every screen, that they are just going to decide we're not switching. I swear to God, every time they switched, every time they switched, Harden got a friggin' layup. It was the damnedest thing. Every time. He just he literally, like, unimpeded. Just drove to the basket and made a layup. <laughs> so you just got to decide we ain't doing that anymore. We're just sticking with the him. And we're gonna, so fun. We're going to try to blow up those screens because that was just instant death. Every time somebody big switched on to him, it was over. It was like, all right. Now, I'm, and poor Cantor. Then if you, then if you, then if you don't it, switch, though, you got Clint Capella you know, running down the lane with James Harden probing for lob dunks. It, it's so hard. I, I it's know. so hard. He, he forces you into terrible decisions, but poor Cantor almost tore both his ACLs trying to guard him on one play. Oh, oh yeah, when he got put in the turnstile when Harden oh, spun him. <laughs> oh, God. That was just. Unbelievable. That, that, was, that was very, very troubling. All right, last series uh, that is going to resume on Wednesday. Warriors, Blazers. Warriors obviously look devastating. Speaking of hardened souls, when you have that Draymond, the, the, you know, the, the scene from game one is all summed up with Draymond and the massive block at the rim and then him pumping his fist in yeah. the air. And I'll tell you this, if you told me you're going to get uh, not un, not totally unlike the Raptors where they're so reliant on backcourt and backcourt scoring, um, while the Raptors didn't exactly have some kind of potent offense from their guys, and you chronicled how this has been a big problem for many years, they got 75 points out of McCollum and, and, and Lillard, right? Wasn't it 75, I think, was the total? Um, it was well, a no. lot. <laughs> it it might have been more than that because McCollum was the leading scorer of of the game ones. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it, it right? Was, it was Wasn't 75. It? You're right. 34, was, 34 for Lillard, 41 for McCollum. I mean, damn. What do you want, right? You got 75 out of those guys. I mean, that's about as uh, if if you were if you told me you're going to get 75 out of those two guys, I feel pretty good about you know, chances of being competitive. And yet you look up at the end and they still get beat by double digits. Yeah, unless it's against a team that has Kevin Durant, I know. Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, right? Well, that, that, that's the issue oh, with that team. <laughs> well, the other thing is, you're, you know, the other guys are Harkless, Evan Turner. Yeah. I mean, they got nine points Shout off of their bench. Not, I mean, Aminu, terrible. I mean, 0 for 5, no points. Alan Crabb, one for five, three points. I mean, they got to get something out of those guys. Got to. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get it consistently. You might, you might get it here and there, but there's, there's guys in the in the NBA that you can lean on every night that are going to get you buckets, and they're not always superstars. They're they're good players that that have roles and they're effective every night. But then there's guys where sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And I think every, almost every team has those guys because you can't you can't have 
all the best players on your team unless you're the Warriors. <laughs> but but look, it's like put it this way. They needed Nurkic because their defense was so poor with the personnel that they had. You look at Noah Vonley, the game he played, he is a complete non-threat in the pick and roll. And so what happens with that? Everything needs to come from the guards, and that's why they scored 70 points, yeah, 75 no. points from Lillard and McCollum because they can't and get it, it anywhere else. You can't get obvious. it from Vonley on the roll like you can from Nurkic. You can't get it from any other role players consistently either. No, and it's obviously a lot of what we talked about earlier where it is there is uh, some of it is the individual and what they bring to the table and how good they are and how well the team functions with them the other factor of a guy getting injured is how how tragic is the drop off to the next guy and so just to wrap back around to the first series we covered the drop off from tony allen is to friggin wayne selden who wasn't in the nba and the drop off from nurkic is to noah vonley who you wouldn't want out there at all, much less playing 21 minutes or 23 minutes. You know, it just can't be like you. It's one thing to lose Nurkic. It's another that you got nothing to replace him, not even close. And the same thing goes, obviously, when the Grizzlies lost Tony Allen. And we will see. What do you think they do? Do you think he just goes small in Utah with the Gobert loss? Or do you think he just tries to go big with – I? I I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see how Quinn Snyder plays that out. <laughs> you, you, everything you're saying about like the next guy up, Chris, reminds me of uh, just I guess to touch back, wrap back around to where we were at the start of Mike Singletary, former coach of the San Francisco 49ers. He said, "Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it." You can't do it with Wayne Selden. You can't do it with Noah Vonley. The replacement players aren't always going to be able to do half or even 25% of what the starters can well, do. And you that, just see, that loss and, can be devastating. Yeah, and going, back to, and going back to Utah, he doesn't really have a choice. I mean, he'll either play – he's obviously going to be Favors. You know, he's going to have to roll. He's got, he's got Favors. He's got Borsiao and, I mean, Trey Lyles. I mean, the only other center, the only other guy on the on the roster is Jeff Withy, so you ain't rocking with that. So yeah. they're just gonna I'm, they're I'm, just gonna I'm, have to I'm play small. I'm a Jeff Withy fan. I'm a they're, Jeff Withy fan. Um, me 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 and uh, Ryan B from CelticsHub.com are, are leaders of the Jeff Withy fan club. Uh, not a great player, solid can give you 10, 15 minutes. That, that, okay. I think that's what he can do. But, but right, you're right. Just, besides that, they do they they need to play smaller. They need yeah, to. And I think that's kind of what they were forced to do in game one, and we'll see how the Clippers react in game two. They they need to play smaller and then supplement with the in for about ten to fifteen max, and that's about it. It's been a fun. Uh, it's been it's been fun so far watching these series, and we got three games tonight. We got a couple more, uh, three more on Wednesday night. Uh, do you know what you're writing about? Do you know what you're doing next? I'm not sure what I'm writing about next, but today I had an article just about the amazing nights Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Love has. That's on the ringer. Yeah, I won't be reading that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just, just read the Kevin Love portion, man. Re- read the Kevin okay. Love part. Just scroll, right, scroll down forward. past Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> just like block the screen when when like you're scrolling down past Kawhi. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to relive that one again. I don't want to read about yeah. how awesome he was. <laughs> Just, just scroll down until you see Shay's Shay's tweet is embedded when he says Kevin Love has 27 points on seven shots. WTF? LOL. Just scroll down until you see that, and you're good. You're safe. All right, perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Hey, we'll catch up next week. Thanks, brother. Hey, man, enjoy the playoffs, Chris. I'm gonna try. Thanks for listening to another Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you on Thursday.
thanks to Cabbage for sponsoring today's episode. Cabbage created a simple way for businesses to get flexible access up to $100,000. Visit cabbage.com slash ringer and you'll get a $100 Visa gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash ringer.